And so, so you could look at these, these three pieces of art and kind of say, yeah, you know, that's good. I don't know if I would put them at my home, but, but they're nice. But what if I told you a little bit of backstory about the three pieces of art that you just saw? What if I was to tell you that all three of those were painted by a blind person? Can't see it all and paints 50 million times better than I could. Like, all of a sudden, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I, I would kind of have that. Because, because all of a sudden, it means something more to you. And then there's one more picture here that kind of a, a famous one. Maybe you've seen it before, um, this picture. But a little bit of backstory on this picture. This was actually painted by a nine-year-old girl. Nine years old. And, and she paints this picture, and her parents are athlete, actually, one is an atheist and one is agnostic. And she begins to have these dreams and has these visions about, about God. And she begins to tell her parents. And, and, and in one of the dreams, she's like, I, I kind of see this picture uh, of Jesus, and, and I want to paint him. Um, and then so she said she has this at the age of seven. And for two years, she began to pray uh, that God would send somebody that, that kind of looked like the picture that she had uh, in her mind in this dream that she could paint them. And so her, they're at the house one day, and uh, comes knocking on the door is this out-of-work carpenter. And when she opens the door, she says, Mom, that's him. And so instead of hiring him, to fix some things around the house. They actually hire this carpenter to just sit for their daughter, and then she paints this picture of what she says Jesus looks like. Now, fast forward the story, and there was a movie that came out a few years ago. I think the movie was like Heaven is for Real or something like that, where this boy has this kind of vision of heaven and everything. And and then people would ask him, well, what do you think Jesus looks like? And and he would try to describe and all this stuff. But then one day the boy came across this picture, and the boy said, that's him. And then, you know, they used it in the movie and all that stuff. And so, like, you could look at that picture— but then when you hear the backstory behind it, all of a sudden it, it, it means so much more. And so it, it's not just true with art. It could be true with music. It could be true with different things in your life. Um, there's a, a hymn. There's a song that we have sung. It actually was written back in the 1800s. And um, you probably know it as It Is Well With My Soul. And it's this beautiful, beautiful hymn. And, and, and it's, it's been sung for obviously over a hundred years it is well with my soul and uh, I want to tell you just a little bit of the backstory on that song this song was actually written by uh, this gentleman that went through great tragedy he lost his son and then just a few years later there was a great fire in Chicago and he lost everything uh, he, was, he was a lawyer he was a businessman he had lots of different properties right there around Chicago and he lost everything. Uh, uh, he had lost his son. And so it had gotten to the point where he decided he was going to send, uh, he, him and his family were moving over to Europe. And um, something happened at the last minute where he had to stay back. Uh, but he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead of him to, uh, to get on the ship and to sail across the Atlantic. And about halfway through this trip, the ship collides with another vessel and it goes down and he lost all four of his daughters 
and his wife is saved and she gets back to the other side and she sends him this telegram uh, telegram telegraph you know and, he, and, and it's this famous and it's only two words and it says saved alone saved alone he lost his family lost everything and so he finally gets on another boat another vessel and he's heading over the Atlantic to, to meet with his wife and at one point when they're, they're crossing the Atlantic, the captain of the, the ship comes down and he uh, gets, comes to this gentleman and says, this is the spot. This is where this other ship went down. So think about it for a moment. This man has lost everything. He's lost his four daughters. He's lost his business. He's lost his son a few years before. And he stands there on that ship. And he, and he, you would think at, at anybody, at, this is the moment where you are angry at God. This is the moment where God, why? Why did this happen? If anybody had any reason to just throw their hands in the air and just, I give up, I quit. I mean, it's this guy. And yet in this moment, he pens this song. And he says, it is well with my soul. this morning is that as we look to the cross that this morning I don't want you just to hear a sermon I don't want you to hear a teaching but my hope is to try to bring out a little bit of the backstory on the cross I have one goal this morning is that when you leave this place that you would never see the cross the same again because when you know the backstory it means so much more What year is it? 2016. Why is it 2016? See, all of time itself revolves around Christ. See, there's before Christ, and then there's after Christ. There's this man Christ. Think about it for a minute. Even if you're in here this morning and you're not a believer, you've got to at least pause long enough to say, listen, what was it about this man What was it about this man and his life that was so extraordinary that time itself had to stop? And we had to say, you know what? We can't even count the days and the hours and the years like we used to anymore. Day one, week one, year one. I mean, there's something. See, here's the thing. Like, there's no disputing the fact that Jesus Christ lived and he died. 
Uh, I mean, there, 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 there's no one in here, it doesn't matter if you're an atheist, agnostic, uh, no matter what kind of uh, background you have, there's no dispute, and this is an undeniable fact, that there really was a man, and his name was Jesus, and he died. Okay, there's, it, it, there's books upon books, there's history, and so anyone, like, logically would work out within themselves, okay, I can't deny that there was a Christ. Now, where we get the hiccup is upon the resurrection, you know, that's the part that where all people kind of like, oh, okay, and that, that was made up stories by the disciple or whatever. But the man, okay, we got to stop long enough to say, okay, so what was it about this man and his life that time itself stopped and we can't go on any longer? Because there was lots of crosses. There was lots of people that cru- got crucified. There's been thousands and thousands of people that got crucified throughout the years. As a matter of fact, there's, there's times in history uh, briefly after the cross of Christ in which there was, there was literally so many people crucified, it was as far as the eye could see, and they actually ran out of timber. I mean, what was it about Christ? What was it about Christ? Has this happened in your life? Have you come to the moment? Have you come face-to-face with Jesus where it's like, okay, I can't go on like this anymore? And that's why we call it being born again, day one. Because Jesus, there's the life I used to live, and now there's life after you, life in you. And it's nothing. Like, there's something about you that changes everything. There's something about you. I just can't, I can't go on like I used to. I can't go on like I used to. Nothing will change your life more than a revelation of the cross. See, in his broken cry on that cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And God, while we were yet sinners, died for us. And Hebrews 2 says this. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. 
It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we, through his troubles, were a punishment for God, a punishment for the sin. He was pierced. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our, our own way. And yet, the Lord laid on him the sin of us all. This wonderful cross. This wonderful cross. So if you were there, and if you were in first century Jerusalem when all of this was taking place, you wouldn't be known so much as a Christian as you would be known as a follower of the way. So whenever Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, this, this caught on among people. And people would say, listen, are you a follower of the way? Are you a follower of Jesus? Uh, at that time, there was lots of persecution taking place upon Christians. Um, different Jews were coming to know Christ. Um, now, there are all types of history and books. Um, archaeologists has, ha, have uh, uh, uncovered and uncaved uh, inside of some of these places. They're known as the ca- uh, catacombs, uh, different, different insignias and signs that Christians uh, of the early days would use to identify themselves as, per- as persecution was taking place. And, and there were all different types of signs uh, that Christians would use to identify themselves to other Christians. Uh, one, some of them kind of known now, some of them lesser known. Uh, one of them was a peacock, actually, was used to identif- identify others as, as Christians. And this was just a symbol of eternal life in Christ. Uh, another big one was the palm branch. And the palm branch was used to, uh, as the winner's victory uh, in different um, uh, events and games that they would have. The palm branch would be held by the winner. And, and, and they use the palm branches just as, as, as signification of, like, Jesus has overcome death and the grave. So he is the winner. Uh, there was the palm branch. Uh, there was uh, depictions uh, on these walls of, of a, a shepherd holding sheep over their shoulders. Um, there was um, probably, uh, there was, there was uh, doves. And there was, there was one that's still quite common today, and that was the symbol of, of the fish, the little Jesus fish, which somebody in here has it on their bumper sticker right now, that, that Jesus fish. Um, but a little bit about this Jesus fish. Um, did you know that the reason why the fish was used, there many different things, but one of the reasons is in the Greek, the Greek word for fish was, was used as an acrostic for Christ's name. So that Greek word broke down to say this, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. So whenever you saw that fish, they would know, that, like, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. And, and it would be drawn at different places. And, and if, if the Christians, if the followers of the way wanted to meet, they would see this symbol written outside of people's homes, and they know that they could go and find a safe place there. If they met someone on the street, it was, uh, it was common practice that they would go in the sand or use a stick or something, and, say, and one person would draw half of the fish, 
And if the other person was a Christian as well, they would complete it and draw the other half. And that way they knew they were in the presence of another follower. So there's all these symbols throughout history that have been found, but there is none more used, more widely known than the cross. The cross, uh, right now, it is the worldwide symbol for Christianity. Uh, uh, Muslims have different symbols. Hindus have different symbols. But the cross symbolizes Christ. If you have the cross, it is the symbol for Christianity. It's universally known to identify ourselves with Christ. Philippians 3 says this. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with its infinite value and knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. I have counted everything as garbage that I could gain Christ. He goes on to say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformed unto his death. See, through all of these symbols, uh, the fish and, and, the, sh- and the shepherd and, 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 and the palm branch, there's none that rings louder than the cross. There's none that has more significance than the cross. See, we, 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 as, we as Christians today, we find our identity in Christ and his cross. But that was not the case 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, the cross wasn't the symbol that we look at today. The cross was looked at as shame. This was a torture device. This would be the equivalent of like our electric chair. The cross was looked at as this was used for the worst of the worst. There's even stories of saying that how the, uh, the Romans did all of these different torture techniques, and they found that, man, what was the way that we could inflict the most amount of pain onto a person without them actually dying. And, and that could bring them to the, uh, the most excre- excruciating point and yet still could hold on. And so this is what the cross was used for. The, the, the cross was the worst of the worst. In Philippians 2, 7 and 8, it says, He emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man and being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself even being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Like, did you catch that? So, so remember, it's not that even though that he died for us, this word even, even death on the cross, even dying the worst of the worst death. See, to die this kind of death means you are associated with sinners. You are associated with, man, this is the worst of the worst of our society. And so when people saw this, man, what, what did this guy do? He had to be just a horrible person. The cross was absolute shame, and yet Christ constantly identified himself with sinners. He was known as a friend of sinners. Christ did all kinds of things that we read about in the gospel writings that would... Uh, if it happened today, we would step back and say, whoa. Because it, it, would, be, it would be so countercultural, the things that he did. I mean, he, he, had, he had prostitutes washing his feet. He had all the tax collectors that people despised. He had them over and had meals and shared meals with these people. Just imagine for a moment. 
Imagine for a moment that I invite you over to my house to have a meal, and you park your car in the driveway. And upon getting out of your car, you're getting ready to come into the house, but a prostitute leaves my front door. Awkward. (laughs) And then you're halfway through, and you're kind of like, and then a drug dealer comes out of my front door. Whoa, pastor's messed up, right? And then, and then somebody that has felonies and the worst of the worst. Didn't I see him on the top 10 poster at the... And then all these people begin to come out my door, and then you walk in, and there goes another prostitute, and she's washing my feet. Like, hey, how you doing? No, no, no. Like, this is what Jesus did. Like, he was associated and known with these people, even a friend of sinners. And, like, here's the thing. Like, as Christians, sometimes we surround ourselves, and we don't want to identify with this Christ. We want to identify ourselves with all of the other good Christians. And so what happens is we surround ourselves in our little Christian bubbles where everybody believes just like we believed, act like we just act, and it makes ourselves feel better because we don't do what that person does. And this is the complete opposite of what Christ did. And if we were really honest with ourselves, see, Christ identified with sinners. Sometimes we identify more with the Pharisees. See, because the Pharisees didn't want to have any part of that. No, 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 tax collector. No, 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 prostitutes. You can't come over. You can't touch me. You can't be a part of this. You can't come inside the sanctuary. You can't be part of the worship service. And yet Jesus said, no, no, no. Like, you don't understand. These are my boys. These are my girls right here. This is how we roll. Think about that. Think about it in today's context. How radical it was. Jesus was constantly identifying himself. Jesus was baptized. What is baptism? Baptism is the identification for us as Christians that we are dying and coming into new life in Christ. The only person on the planet who doesn't need to be baptized, Jesus. The only person in all of history, sinless, that didn't need to be baptized, what he did? He said, listen, I need you to baptize me. Even when John was like, no, 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 no. Jesus like, no, no. Uh, because this is important. I need all of you to see this. He calls himself time and time after again the Son of Man. More times in the scriptures he's identified as the Son of Man than he is the Son of God. He's constantly identifying himself with sinners. He's constantly saying, listen, look at, look at this. This is what I'm calling you guys to. He emptied himself. Came in the form of a bondservant. He didn't look like people expect him. Even being found in the appearance of a man. Like, this is God. This is the creator of everything. This is the God who speaks a word, and oceans are formed, and land is formed, and light be, and it was. Adam, life. And yet he says, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to step out of heaven and into humanity, and I'm going to look like them. In Isaiah 53, like, there there was no beauty in him. He didn't even look good. He was like a nerdy guy. He was the guy that when you'd walk on the street, you'd be like, yeah, good to see you. A matter of fact, Jesus was so normal that when they went to arrest him in the garden, they had to have Judas point him out. Which one is he? See, sometimes we like to think that, man, Jesus would just kind of, like, float two feet above the ground, 
and there's a halo over it. No, no, no. He looked normal. And to some people on the outside, he looked like a sinner. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 21, it says this in this law. It said, cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. Now, hung on a tree, a, a tree was kind of the slang language for a cross. Curses. Anyone. So if you were walking by that day, and imagine that Christ is on the cross, and, and he, he's out there, and it's on this hill for all to see, for everyone that's traveling in and out of the city, and they knew this was the place. This is the place where they, ha- they, they do the murderers and, and the outcasts and the sinners, and Christ is at the center of it all. And, and if you're there, and if you're, if you're a good Jew, you know, you know Deuteronomy, and you know the law, and you know that it says that anyone that hangs there is cursed. And so to the outsider, it looks like he is cursed by God. But to the insider, you realize and you know, it's not that he is cursed, it's that he's taking on our curse. everything that was due us he's taking on himself right now and he's not afraid to look like a curse he doesn't matter what the world thinks he doesn't care if you identify him like that or not because he's doing it for you I want you to put these pictures for you for you you see It wasn't Judas when he sold him out that put him on that cross. It wasn't Pilate when he cast sentence that put him on that cross. It wasn't the crowd that was yelling crucify him that put him on that cross. It was love that put him on that cross. He said, no man takes my life, but I lay it down. I do this that you would have life and life more abundantly and everything that was deserving you I'm going to take it upon myself and I'm willing to be identified with the worst of the worst I'm willing to be identified with those that are outcast because if you were walking by that day and you saw the cross and you saw Christ hanging there you thought this guy must be cursed what's happening here and see here's the thing today If you're just looking for a hero, you're going to miss it. Because heroes don't always come in the forms that we've been taught. Heroes come and they look like this. Heroes come and sometimes they look like sinners. Heroes come and they look like, man, he's identifying himself with the worst. Heroes come and sometimes they're broken and the outcast and the hurting. Heroes don't always wear golden crowns, but sometimes they wear crowns of thorns. Heroes identify themselves with the poor and the nameless and the broken and the hurting and those that are going through tremendous pain. He said, I'll do this for you. And while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, oh, that I would know him. Oh, that I would know him. So we want to just kind of skip to the resurrection. (laughs) But I would know him. I want to know the power of the resurrection. We also need to know the fellowship of his suffering. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. 
For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come on.